Sebastian Salazar from ESPN. Uh, hey, Greg, guys, thanks for the time. Just on the uh, rotations, I wonder if that kind of goes out the window, given the fact that if you take care of business in those first two games, the third game kind of doesn't matter. So does it change your approach at all with what we've seen in the past windows with three games, which is a, a significant rotation in that second game? Yeah, I think that I think that's a decent point. You know, I mean, the, the one thing for sure that we know is Costa Rica has to win their games. Right. So they're going to be playing their best possible lineup in all three games. So if it comes down to it, um, you know, they're going to have a group that that has played two games as well. So, I mean, for us, it's it, it's not trying to get cute. It's trying to put teams on the field in each game that we think can win the game. We know we're going to, you know, the, I think the beauty of this thing is we have five subs and we're in Mexico City. We're going to use all five subs. We may use some earlier. We may be more purposeful with how we use these substitutes, but there's going to be five subs in that game. And then it's about, you know, how do we, how are we planning for the next game um, as well? But, you know, I think that's a valid point. We'll have to see as, as we go. live and underway here on ESPN Plus alongside Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebastian Salazar. There you have it. Hercules starts the fights on Twitter and I'm the one that has to show up to the press conference. What do you tell about that? the fights on Twitter? The guy went at you. I'm just saying, hey, you're welcome to have this platform to come on here and you decided to take matters into your own hand and you got in a Zoom call. Hey, we all have questions, right? Uh, so we did get an answer there, and, and we'll, we'll dissect everything that Greg Berhalter has told us about his national team a little bit later on uh, in the show. But you heard right in that answer to my question, he said, we are going to use all five subs in Azteca. Well, what do you make of that? Because some might see it and say, hey, that's a sign that there is a rotation to be planned. That's a sign that there's a rotation. That's a sign that you're looking past the first game. That's a sign that all your chips aren't in that Mexico game at Azteca. So that's already uh, a little telling is a poker play there. Listen, this is going to be a hot topic. What is the most important game of the window? Uh, where do you put all your chips? Do you rotate? Who plays? Et cetera, et cetera. And we will get into all of that. Yes. The most important game, they always say, is the next on your calendar. Coming up, the next on our calendar here on Football Americas, we got an interview with Liga Mekis president, Mikel Arriola, his first English language interview since the horrific events that we saw in Querétaro on March 5th. Should be very, very interesting there. We have a classic, Herc. Some might say vintage MLS collapse in the CONCACAF Champions mm. League. We will break that down <laughs> from all angles. Plus, uh, we got the NWSL Challenge Cup starting up this Friday, so we'll have a full preview of that. But let's start with the 26-man roster that Greg Berhalter announced for the U.S. men's national team. 27-man uh, roster Eric for the Palmer games. Brown, don't forget him. Away to Mexico, home against Panama, and then away against Costa Rica. Let's start with who's not there, right? No Weston McKinney, no Matt Turner, those guys injured. Uh, Serginho Dest is on the list. Yes, he limped off in Europa League action for Barcelona, uh, but the rest of the squad looks like this. Goalie, Zach Steffen, Ethan Horvath, Sean Johnson, Defenders, at least centrally, Walker Zimmerman, James Sands, Miles Robinson, Aaron Long, interesting name in there. Your outside backs, Reggie Cannon, aforementioned Sergio Dest, DeAndre Yedlin, Anthony Robinson uh, in there as a left back as well. Midfield, Kellen Acosta, Tyler Adams, Gianluca Buzio, Luca Della Torre, uh, Eunice Musa, Christian Roldan. Your forwards, Brendan Aronson, Paul Ariola, Jesus Ferreira, Jordan Morris, Jordan Pifak, Ricardo Pepe, Christian Pulisic, Gio Reyna, and Timothy Way. And yes, uh, I cannot forget Eric Palmer Brown uh, as well in there among the defenders. All right, Herc, your first thoughts on the roster. Are you cool with it for these decisive three matches? <laughs> it's a loaded question, my friend. Are you cool with it? I don't know if I could be cool with so many contradictions. I mean, Greg Berhalter constantly contradicts himself. First, it's form. That's why certain players aren't being called in. Then you bring in a player who's got three games under his belt, who's been out of the national team picture for about a year, torn Achilles, last time he played was a friendly against Northern Ireland, uh, who's not played World Cup qualifier, who's not played for you in this cycle, and you're leaving out what are your most experienced players in the pool? So am I cool with this? Just a ton of inconsistencies, James Sands, uh, other players like Josh Sargent, et cetera, et cetera. No, I I'm not cool with this. There's just inconsistencies all over the place, but 
we've grown accustomed to it. Okay. You can say the names there, Aaron Long, John Aaron Long. Brooks, the players yeah, that you're talking about. Yeah, we will get into about. that. Yeah. Um, as far as being cool with it, people always look at the number of MLS players. Remember, the last window was 13 of 28. This time it's only 10 of 27. So, right, so that's a significantly lower percentage in terms of MLS representation on this roster. I think the U.S. men's national team fans on Twitter, Herc, that we always hear from might be happy. They might be very cool with this because they don't see names like Giassi Zardes. They don't see names like Sebastian, Sebastian Legette. They do see other, though, Burhalter favorites, uh, especially a guy like Jordan Morris, which to me is one of the interesting things as you break down kind of where the positions are on this roster. Not that Jordan Morris isn't a good player, but let's look at the other wide options that yeah. Greg Burhalter has just for this window. Aronson, Paul Ariola, Christian Pulisic, Reyna, Weah. Do you need do you need six wide options for a game like this? Why not maybe distribute that spot for I don't know, another nine, one of the guys that, that you might have left off, or even somebody who can help you at left back. You're yeah, a little bit I, light well, there. For the left back, I think you're going to get the left back because Serginho okay. Dest's injury is going to force you to bring in a left back because you don't have cover for Anthony Robinson because Serginho Dest was that cover. So <clears throat> maybe, maybe don't go there just yet. But if we're talking about these wingers, you just mentioned Brendan Aronson. You mentioned Giovanni Reyna. These are two players I think we might see centrally in this next window. Mm. We might see them as eights. We talk about Weston McKinney, who's going to replace Weston McKinney. Everybody talks about Kellen Acosta, Luca De La Torre. I don't know if we're going to get a little curveball. We may see a little Brendan Aronson, who I think is fully capable of doing that. If we yeah. don't see a little Giovanni Reyna, who I think is fully capable of doing that. I think we may get a little bit of that right there. It's more of when you talk about players that he knows. You mentioned Jordan Morris. Well, James Sands. Uh, you know, James Sands being in this list. Uh, if you wanted to go in eight and you wanted to go Major League Soccer, there's no legit, and that's one of his preferred in individuals. Jordan Mihailovic has been killing it lately. Mm. He's a guy that I see has a huge ceiling. He's a guy who's been attracting a lot of European interest, and he still can't get on this roster. He still can't get a sniff. So that's interesting to me. Uh, there's a lot of inconsistencies here. I wouldn't read too much into the wide players as of yet because, look, the players who are there, we know why they're there. Greg Berhalter himself has said, Paul Ariola, Jordan Morris, they offer a certain amount of verticality, a certain amount of getting behind defenders that he happens to enjoy. So we know why they're there. Maybe these other guys like Brendan Aronson and Giovanni Reyna, even though they're, in a sense, wingers, they can play that center role. Uh, 27 names, Herc. Who's the biggest surprise included for you? Aaron Long. It, it's it's got to be Aaron Long. Um, for what I just mentioned, a little bit of that. This is a player. You know what? Now that I think of it, I shouldn't really be surprised. I shouldn't really be surprised. Let me explain why it's a surprise, but it's not a surprise. It's a surprise because he's not played in over a year. It's, it's this March, the end of this March is 28th. It'll be one year since he last played, okay? For the, for the national, national team, team, for the national, for the national team. team. Right. He's got three games. Three, right. He's got three games for New York Red Bulls. Uh, two of them 90 minutes. One, I think it was like 64, 65 yeah. minutes. In got, the game a that he in he got a goal in yeah. there too as well, okay? I get it. He's a player that played a lot with you. I get it. It's a player who wore the captain's armband. I think to this day he holds the record. Three, three appearances and he wore the captain's armband. That's a record in the U.S. men's national team. He's 29 years of age. He's not been around. And you're leaving guys. Mm. It's who you're leaving now instead of him. Because pretty much what you're saying is Chris Richards, we know that he's a bit injured right now. He's on the men. Even though I've been told that he told Greg Berhalter he was good enough to play. Greg's like, hey, we haven't seen you since January. You're not going to play. But it's John Brooks. It's John Brooks. John Brooks is the same age as Aaron Long, and I happen to think Aaron Long is a good defender. But you can't say it's form. You can't say I've not seen enough of you. And then all of a sudden bring in Aaron Long. And then all of a sudden take us for a curveball and then throw us a different reason why John Brooks isn't here. You see the appearances, World Cup appearances. You see, you see what he means, the World Cup goals. You see what he's played, his leadership, where he plays today. And it makes you wonder what really went down with John Brooks mm. and Greg Berhalter. And this is where I get upset. Because Greg Berhalter has now f uh, tried to sell us its form. And now he's trying to sell us it's another thing. It's I've spoken to him. He needs to do this. We can't fit in this window. He can't work on those things in such a tight window. But John Brooks has not really said it's anything besides soccer. When to everybody... The way it's being painted, something happened. There was an incident involving these two, and their relationship seems to be unrepairable for Greg Berhalter. But until, until John Brooks speaks on that, he's letting Greg Berhalter have the narrative. Until he really says what happened, until we clear the air, 
I, I don't really know what to say. Uh, real quick, on your point about the center backs and being surprised about Aaron Long, you are also surprised about Eric Palmer Brown to an extent, right? This is a guy who has yeah. no competitive minutes. These are the three biggest games potentially in the history of the United States. Center back is a position where you need experience. Um, we're, sh we're a little bit shocked to see him in here, right? I know I, you, you had heard some whispers that this might be coming, uh, but he's only recently really broken in as a consistent starter with Trois in France. Yeah, but he's playing. Uh, you could go camp. Uh, John Brooks is playing. <laughs> John Brooks is playing, but John Brooks, and this is what gets me angry. Like, it's, it's no longer a sporting aspect with John Brooks. There was an incident. We need to know what happened, and until we know, he's just letting Greg Berhalter and U.S. Soccer control the narrative. So, John Brooks, you want to speak on this, please speak on this, because all you're leaving is doubt in everybody's mind. If you want to put up the quote, put up the quote. John Brooks is speaking on this. Go put up the quote. You can read it, Sebby. Go ahead. No, you want to produce the show now, too. <laughs> the Quit producer it. told me. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> you want me to read it? I John accept Brooks. This. Go ahead. John Brooks, uh, this is translated by our good friend Derek Ray. Uh, I accept. This is the coach's decision, but what I won't accept that I can't change this before the final World Cup roster selections. There should be no questions about my desire to play for this team. My plan is to fight to make it back to the U.S. men's national team. Uh, same as we said for Eric Palmer Brown. These are the three biggest games for the U.S. men's national team, perhaps uh, in forever. If John Brooks isn't getting called in now, uh, how does this affect his hopes of making the World Cup squad at all? Yeah, I think that boat sells, Seb. I don't, I don't know about you, but I, the writing was on the wall. I think this pretty much cements. I mean, when you're calling in Aaron Long, when you're calling in Eric Palmer Brown, and he's got a bright future ahead of him, when you're calling in, the, and by the way, that's only because Chris Richards is on the men. This pretty much tells you everything mm. you need to know. He's on the outside looking in. This is his national team future or his career ending before our very eyes, except I don't think I need to tell you that's what's happening. If you feel differently, please tell me, but I think it's evident. <laughs> no, uh, we were on the conference call today with Greg Berhalter. Ivis Galarsep, uh, a longtime friend of both of ours, uh, basically pointed out that if you're looking at it from a numbers game, Brooks at this point is eighth, Herc. Eighth in the center back uh, depth chart. And to your point about guys like Aaron Long and Eric Palmer Brown, uh, we have not seen them in this qualifying cycle. Some through injury, some through form, or whatever you want to say it is. Uh, but it really is shocking. Now, Greg Berhalter did say uh, that this does not determine Brooks' national team future. And when explaining the decision, he seemed to say that there are some details in Brooks' game that they can't fix by this window. So do you think that given the time after World Cup qualification, once everything is assured and you have time to work with a player, that a player of Brooks quality really can't be fit back into this group? Do you really believe that? What details are we talking about? Because it's preference that he's talking about, not details. Because he's 29 years old. You're not going to change the type of player he is. That just doesn't happen. You're talking about preference. Because tactically, okay, my preference is tactically you don't fit into my system. What system is that? What are you looking for out of your left center back? The ability to pass? He has that. An aerial presence? He has that. Leadership? He has that. Is he a good defender? He has that as well. So what are you looking for? If you leave it so vague as to say we can't work with him in such a short period of time and maybe down the road doesn't mean he's not going to be with us in the World Cup, doesn't mean he doesn't have a future, are you just not stringing him along? It seems to me like you're just kind of feeding the press enough to keep this going and get out of your hair. All right, so Greg Berhalter did answer questions about John Brooks in his press conference, but during his appearance on SportsCenter with Al Duncan, they talked about a, a few other things. One, just how big these games are for U.S. soccer, and two, more importantly, perhaps, the status of Serginho Dest. Here's the latest. You know, what we talked about in the beginning when we got this team together is trying to change the way the world views American soccer, and we're only going to have the opportunity to do that at the World Cup. So for us, this is another step in our journey. And, um, you know, we need to complete this step to have that opportunity to play in a World Cup. So it's, it's a good type of pressure. It's an exciting type of pressure. But the one thing I can tell you is the group is ready for it. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. But we're going to get the definitive um, results tomorrow. And, you know, this is one of these things where you're watching these games um, right before the window and you're holding your breath. And um, you're hoping guys are going to uh, get, get through the game healthy and, and able to join the team. And doesn't always, that's not always the case. So, you know, it, it's, we feel bad for Serginho. And, um, again, this will be a case of the next man needs to step up. And, folks, just in case you did miss it, uh, Barcelona with a 
2-1 victory over Galatasaray today in the Europa League, but Serginho Dest leaving the match early on uh, with what appeared to be a hamstring injury, and that's obviously what, uh, what Greg Berhalter is talking about there. There's not always a ton of guarantees, Herc, when we talk about the U.S. starting 11 for these World Cup qualifiers, but I feel like Serginho Dest uh, being a right back it's pretty much something you can count on for Greg Berhalter's team. So if Dest isn't available, and look at that, that doesn't look very good right there. Uh, yeah. What is plan B at the right back position? That's Gavi, his teammate, carrying mm -hmm. him right there. That's, uh, that tells you everything you need to know. Uh, Serginho Dest not being available. And let's talk about the Mexico game because I think that's game number one. Let's not just talk about the window, but everybody's focusing on this Mexico game. Him not being available for Mexico, is that the worst thing in the world? I mean, he wasn't there when they, at the right back, when they played Mexico in the CONCACAF Nations League final, and they won. He wasn't a right back when they beat him Dos Acero in Cincinnati, Dos Acero in Cincinnati, and they won. Is that the worst thing in the world? Yes, yes it is. You want me to tell you why? Because uh, you're not comfortable with the plan B. That's uh, why. Well, no, because Yedlin was the right back in those two games. Not that I'm not comfortable with it. It's just how much better Serginho Dest has been with Xavi. Mm. I mean, his tactical understanding uh, of of his, his tactical understanding of his defensive principles and his, and his in-game play of what he's supposed to do, where he's supposed to be, what he can attack, uh, how he can be efficient for the team has been enhanced with Xavi. So those defensive principles, those profiles, now carrying it over to the national team, because I think he actually had a good game against Canada, carrying that over to the national team, that could have been of a huge benefit. And, you know, Yedlin... Coming back to Major League Soccer, I called the Austin versus um, Inter-Miami game. It wasn't like he had a great game. Nobody from Inter had a great game. Uh, mm. They struggled in that back line. It's not so much a guarantee uh, of him playing well. It, it's it's kind of hit or miss when you get to this level with the U.S. men's national team. And he's more there for his physical capabilities and how, what he can offer stretching the opponent or covering defensively for a player with speed. So, Serginho's a massive loss. There's, there's few players, not just defenders, few players in the pool with that skill set. Berhalter mentioned it uh, in his press conference today. If Dest isn't available, he's going to have to come up with bringing another player in. And he said that that player would have to be probably somebody who can help him out at left back. Yeah. There's not a huge list of guys there, right? It's pretty much George Bellow or Joe Scally. Anybody else Sam that could Vines. kind of... And Sam Vines is yeah. a good shout. Sam Vines yeah. may be another guy who could who could fit that that check both those boxes, right, and, and give you some help at left back. What about a guy like Reggie Cannon? Because uh, you mentioned Yedlin. He is playing for Inter Miami now. It is a step down from where he was. I don't think he was that great against Mexico. A lot of Mexico's dangerous opportunities came from his side. They did. Wouldn't, um, wouldn't Cannon in, in that way, a guy who's starting week in and week out in Europe, who's experienced, wouldn't that be the safe play? Wouldn't that be the safe play for a game like Mexico? And isn't the safe play the right play? I don't know if there is a safe play between the two. Um, if you talk about experience, Yedlin's probably your most experienced player in the pool. If you want to talk about being there, doing that at Azteca, how many of these players have been there, done that? Mm. Uh, you know, it's, it's hit or miss with these players when you talk about that gamble. Reggie Cannon's a hardworking player. He's got some things offensively that can help you out. Good engine, whatnot. He's still very rough around their edges tactically or technically, excuse me. Tactically, he will give you an honest effort. But I, you know, I think we're splitting hairs when we talk about the two. Okay. All right. So uh, still big decisions then to be made uh, at right back. What about your biggest snub for this 27-man uh, list? Who should have been in but was left out? You know I'm going to say Josh Sargent. I knew you were going to make it about a forward. Classic Herc. Yeah, this, this one really hurts, Seb. This, this, one's a, this one's a bummer for me, man. Josh Sargent's, you know, I've said this endlessly. Uh, he's the best nine in the pool. He's the mm -hmm. most complete. He's the most talented. I, I truly feel this player has a future. And what I love about J Josh Sargent is he's one of these players who's learned how to suffer. And what do I mean about that? I mean, you saw it with Schalke. You see it now with Norwich. He's not even playing in the nine position, but he's doing everything he can to stay mm -hmm. on the field to help his team. And he's still being very productive at it. Now, maybe not goals, but as far as assists, as far as being dangerous, as far as giving you that effort uh, to, to keep the team going, he does that for you. And I still feel across the board, he's your best nine. If we're talking about technical ability, if we're talking about combination play, if we're talking about 1v1, if we're talking about shooting, if we're talking about attacking, across the board, he's still your best nine. The one thing he doesn't have right now is the mm. goal. Es el and, gol. Is the goal and, scores threat. 
And that's exactly what Greg Berhalter mentioned in his press conference today. He was asked about it. You know, how do you make the decision? You bring in a PFOC, you leave out a sergeant. Yeah. He said it comes down to goals. And then he was heaping praise on Josh Sargent, talking about how hard he works for Norwich uh, and all that good stuff. But at some point, you have to make cuts. Um, Sargent, the, the guy left out. I'm surprised because we saw Greg Berhalter watching Josh Sargent at Anfield. And, you know, Josh Sargent had an assist in that game. So you're thinking, okay, he went all the way over there to see him. Uh, he's had an assist in the match at a place where it's, it's tough to, to be productive as an attacking player. So he should be in. And it also tells us, Herc, just how far Sargent has fallen, right? Yeah. How much those goals cost. You go back to the first three games. He started two of them. He played in all three. Now he's not even in a 27-man list. It's wild. Seb, I, I will go echo what you just said about how far he's fallen down. I mean, you just mentioned that Greg Berhalter was saying he's missing the goal. You know who's missing the goal right now? It's Ricardo Pepe. Mm. Ricardo Pepe is not scored. Ricardo Pepe doesn't have a goal. But Greg Berhalter went on to mention Josh Sargent being the future of the U.S. men's national team at the nine position. And here I am thinking, wait a second, you're bringing in Ricardo Pepe, 19 years of age, with zero goals. Where's, where's the difference here? You know, why is it okay for one and not the other? I mean, one is literally playing. Every single day, he's literally helping his team. The other one, and I'm not saying Ricardo Pepe's not helping his team as much as he can, but there seems to be certain stock that's approved for one and not the other. One difference, one key difference, we have to say, Pepe has produced at least a little bit during this World Cup qualifying cycle. Uh, Sargent, okay, but Sargent, as of yet, um, has not. All right, let's continue our Road to Qatar series. Speaking of Ricardo Pepe, uh, here he is on his first call-up with the U.S. men's national team. Eventually, play for the national team was always one of my goals, but I didn't know it was going to come this soon. Me and my dad shared the same email, so, you know, he got the email, too, that I was invited to the camp. He called me, and he was like, did you already see the email? I was like, no, what are you weren't talking about? He was like, go look at it. And he, he sounded very happy. It's win or nothing. Lovely cross. Pepe! That young man there, not phased by the occasion. It was an amazing feeling to just be able to Go on top, you know, we're, it was a very hard game where we were losing 1-0 and then we came back, so it was a special feeling, it was a special moment for me. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, to Liga MX, where League President Mikel Arriola and Federation President Jan de Luisa took questions from members of Mexico's Congress on Thursday about the events of March 5th. Of course, the horrific violence that we saw in the Querétaro against Atlas match after the meeting. Arriola, who we're about to hear from, said, quote, this is the beginning of the end of Barras in Mexico, end quote. Joining us now on Football America is the president of Liga MX, Mikel Arriola, very busy man with lots on his plate right now. Mika, we really do appreciate your time. Welcome, bienvenido al show. Thank you very much, Sebastián Hercules, and great to see the American fans of Liga MX. So, Mikel, uh, as you know, we would usually have you on the show. We'd be talking about the fusion between Major League Soccer and Liga Mekis, but we have to focus on what happened uh, recently in Querétaro. As you know, I don't need to tell you this, there's a lot of Liga Mekis fans here in the United States. I think uh, all of us were kind of horrified by what we saw. Uh, but I want to get your perspective. You're the man in charge of it. Emotionally, what were you feeling? What were you thinking when you saw those images for the first time come out of Querétaro? Well, we were also horrified. We were uh, very sad because uh, these kind of things should never happen in Liga MX. This level of violence was, I think, that uh, not, not seen in the past. This was very sad for us. But uh, my obligation as the president of the Liga MX is to act. 
first to investigate what happened, who is responsible of these terrible uh, facts or terrible events, and then uh, sanction. So um, on Sunday, I went to Querétaro. We tried to rebuild or reconstruct the, the fact by fact what happened in Querétaro since Friday, because we started the game one day before by means of our protocol, of a safety protocol. And uh, what we found out was that uh, there was a huge mistake by, of the club by means of um, working with this secu private security company that uh, was in charge of the pitch and was in charge of the stadium, of the interior of the stadium, and that they never appeared when this started to happen. So uh, we investigated by means of our sanctions commission. And uh, during Monday and Tuesday, we were able to find out who were which parties were responsible. And one of the causes of the main causes was that irresponsibility in terms of contracting this private company. And second, the, the Barra of Querétaro and the Barra of Atlas. Um, they were very violent and they were covered by uh, not um, transparenting or not opening their identities. Mm -hmm. So that's why we generated uh, an extraordinary session of our board on Tuesday. And we uh, took several decisions. First, we banned the visiting barras for life. We will not receive barras of the visiting um, teams from here to, to the future. And then we uh, also generate sanctions or future or potential sanctions to the teams if they have any relationship with these barras. We banned these uh, relationships where the clubs could pay the tickets to the barras or they pay the transportation to the barras. This is banned from Tuesday for the future. And we were able to generate this very, um, I think, hard sanctions that will uh, generate, I think, a, a much higher level of safety in the stadiums. So that's what we did uh, on the past days. Miquel, the images are so bad, so hard to watch. It, it makes the official reports of no death very hard to believe for many. What would you say to those who are skeptical, those who still have doubts about the official reports? Well, Hercules, we saw the, the images and, and you could believe whatever number of deaths they could tell you. And unfortunately, uh, some journalists issued an unofficial number of deaths and that contributed to uh, this kind of non-confidence uh, with, with the official numbers. I went to the office of the governor on Sunday and I directly asked that question to the governor of Querétaro. And he told me that he had a list of 26 injured and the gravity of those injured were uh, around 10 of them were serious. And then they were administering their state of health during those days. I was informed today that the last of the injured is uh, going to uh, go out of the hospital in the following days. So that's uh, uh, good news. And um, we, our confidence is on the official sources, Hercules. We are not a public entity, so we have to trust. And we trust and we also know that there are no missing persons now. No one is uh, searching for missing persons on that stadium on, on that day, on the 5th of, of March. 
Mikael, let's talk a little bit about some of the sanctions that you did hand down uh, last Tuesday. There was some discussion before the meeting on Tuesday that maybe we would see the end of Querétaro, the end of Gallos Blancos. Uh, why did you decide to allow Querétaro to continue existing as it is? It was the end of the board, no? And uh, we also ordered uh, the sale of the team, no? The, the administrator now is obliged to sell the team to a third party. Why we didn't uh, ban Querétaro as a club? Because the, the effects or the negative effects would be, I think, not related with the causes of the problem. Mm. Because if we close Querétaro, we would close around 15,000 employ- uh, uh, sources of employment, considering also players, the women's team, players that come from under 13, under 15, under 17, under 20, these categories would have died. And also the sanction would be directed not to the responsibles, which are the violent, but to the fans. It was unfair for Querétaro, uh, for Querétaro's fans to lose their team due to a fact that this is not related with their responsibility. So that's why we took these very strict sanctions, banning the members of the board, the members of the administration, the management, but not sanctioning the fans or the players. Miguel, you went as far as banning these barras, these traveling barras, the awaiting barras. Why not ban barras in general, all barras, no barras in any game, whether it's a home team or an away team? Well, these barras, um, Hercules, are, are not covered by our regulation, by our definitions. We talk about animation groups, if you can translate it like that. And animation groups uh, in the 80s or the 90s were the very traditional Mexican supporters, the Chiquiti Boom. Uh, and that was contaminated by Barras. So we want to ban Barras, and this is the, the, the beginning of the end of Barras, because we are going to attack uh, them by means of generating identities, Hercules. If criminals don't open their identities, they will not um, be a part of any animation group. So what I have to say is we have on the 24th our uh, very important match against the U.S. here in Estadio Azteca. We are going to generate a fan ID by means of the Federation and if you don't have a, a fan ID, you cannot enter to the stadium. That's what we're going to do with these animation groups or these barras. And that's going to be the end of the participation of criminals in these support groups or these fan groups. So we didn't see the barras, Mikel, banned entirely, but we did see... For instance, in the Clásico Nacional, Chivas chose not to have their barra present. We saw uh, Necaxa play the game without fans. What did you think of those decisions of the club saying, we're going to put the barras to one side for now, when the league didn't go that far? Well, we're going that far by means of implementing our fan ID. No, Uh, we don't want to lose the supporters, the fans, the traditional fans. But I, I totally agree with the teams that are now banning their own barras, Chivas, um, and we are now working with a couple of other teams uh, to ban directly their their barras. So we're working in parallel. We're working in implementing these security measures by means of implementing technology to open the identity of the assistance to to the games, And with the teams that are now open to end with these support uh, groups, we're supporting them also to do that. Uh, But what's our main goal? Our main goal for the next season is to have the fan ID implemented in every stadium for every fan. If you go back to the 80s, Sebastian, and you see what happened in the English league, it was not Premier League, in the English league, they banned these uh, hooligans 
by means of generating these blacklists. They wanted to know the identity of these supporters and they separated the good from the bad. They were um, having around 15 million fans every year after this, in, in this violent scenario. And now the Premier League is having around 30 million fans every year in their stadiums. We want to change like that. We want to exchange these criminals for families, for traditional fans that uh, we have around 60 million in the United States. Miguel, this incident between Querétaro and Atlas happened on March 5th. You decided to go on with the league um, eight days later uh, and continue to do so. Do you feel that you can guarantee the safety of fans in attendance at these matches uh, from here on out? Yes, Circulus, we can do it. Uh, this is uh, a very uh, robust task. We can handle it. This uh, scenario that we lived in Querétaro was... was the most difficult scenario that any league could could face. In this last uh, weekend, we managed to send a very positive message of being united, being a stronger united. Uh, we generated these protocols where the players sent the message to the fans. We were able to, to implement this ban of the visiting barras we were able to reduce the level of um, confrontation between the teams. So we're going to continue doing that and we're going to prove to the world that not only Liga Mekis has the capacity to change in positive, but also Mexican fans. We uh, say that uh, we, uh, in, Mexi in, in Spanish you say, we say ya basta to violence. And we're going to continue with that policy and we are going to evolve in positive and to guarantee for the future the best scenario for our families, for our fans, for our teams and for the development of our league. Mikel, the violence that we saw on Saturday was so extreme that I think it raised fears for a lot of people that organized crime may have infiltrated these barras. Do you share any of those fears? Well, I am very close to the attorney of Querétaro because, as you may know, the investigation is evolving and the conclusions of the investigations are going to be very interesting for us to see what happened on that March the 5th because there are several hypotheses. But I think that the attorney general, with the testimony of the, of the people that are now under in custody, uh, the, this attorney general has the capacity to generate the conclusion on what happened, because we have never seen before this level of violence in a stadium in, in Mexico. So I'm going to wait for that to happen. Miguel, it seems like Liga Mekis and MLS are working closer and closer every single year. I'm curious as to what you've heard from your MLS counterparts. Are they worried about what's going on? Of course, we have been talking a lot since uh, Saturday, Sunday, uh, Monday, Tuesday. They were aware that the Mexican League and the Mexican Federation have the regulations and the institutions in order to solve these kind of problems by means of generating sanctions and by means of generating preventive measures. So we have been, as we are, are have always been, uh, very connected, very communicated, and we have been uh, obviously continuing with the development of our partnership. Uh, Mikel, it's not just the violence that we saw on Saturday. There's also kind of the underlying story of the homophobic chant that's been haunting Mexican soccer. When you start to add all those things up, do you get a sense that the, the people who are in charge of Mexican soccer are in any way afraid uh, that all that might impact Mexico's hosting of the 2026 World Cup? I don't think so, because uh, we have 
generated the evidence, as I said, that we have uh, the capacity to solve our own problems. We have the capacity to obtain uh, the or, or to be successful as candidates for the venue in 2026. And we will maintain that. We also have the capacity to communicate with CONCACAF, with FIFA. So I think that these kind of experiences that are uh, there and can happen and can happen to everyone, to every federation or every league, uh, we have to face them with responsibility and with capacity. And I underline that we have it. We have the institutions and we have the regulations. And we have evidence that uh, in a matter of one week, we have been uh, going uh, or generating results and generating confidence. Miguel, I'm wondering if you have a message for many of the fans of Liga Mekis that you have here in the United States who are maybe thinking about going to a game at Sadio Azteca, U.S. Men's National Team versus Mexico, or a future Liga Mekis game who are maybe concerned about their safety. Any message for these fans? Well, that they can be sure that uh, safety is guaranteed. I was, uh, in, on Saturday, I was in Estadio Azteca. The scenario there is, is, is safe, it's, it's, it's guaranteed. Also, I went to the Bombonera in Toluca. And we're going to work permanently to guarantee safety. And with technology, I think that we will be confident that we're very close to our fan uh, and we're going to, uh, and generating a, a database that could be shared, not only for safety or security matters, but that could um, maybe be uh, useful for the fan, for commercial purposes, for fan engagement, to buy, several things that we sell in the stadium for for the, the comfort of the fans. There he is, Mikel Arriola, the president of Liga Amekis, joining us here on Football Americas. Mika, we know you're a busy guy. Thanks so much for the time and uh, hope to have you back here on the show soon. Sebastian Hercules, uh, thank you very much to you and I am open every time to talk to you guys. Goodbye. Okay, Herc, so Querétaro are back home, uh, but sort of, uh, not really, you know, they got the one-year ban on their stadium, La Corregidora, so they're going to host Atlético San Luis at Estadio Morelos, uh, the ex-home of, of course, Monarcas Morelia. It's about a three-hour drive, maybe, maybe a little bit more, uh, so Querétaro fans will have to make a long commute if they want to see their team and home games. Uh, Herc, about a 20-minute chat there with the president of Liga Mekis. Your big takeaways? Miquel Arriola, the president of Liga Mekis, essentially guaranteed the safety of everybody attending the events, whether that's Liga Mekis or the Mexican national team. And he, he did this without Liga Mekis or the Federation publicly disclosing any new protocols or measures to guarantee said safety or to make people feel at least a little bit safe. We saw it over the weekend, Seb. There was a clear dip in attendance throughout Liga Mekis. It just, I was baffled as how one could guarantee safety after that. Yeah, to that point, um, I, I thought the biggest takeaway was, was kind of the non-answer on the question of organized crime. I mean, he answered it as you might expect somebody in that position to answer it. Uh, but he did say he would be very interested to see what comes out of those investigations. And if you're very interested, to me, Herc, that suggests that you don't know if organized crime has indeed infiltrated these barras. And if you don't know, to your point, I'm curious as to how you can guarantee people's safety um, in the stadium. So I think that was a, a, a big takeaway uh, for me. The other thing that's, I think, worth noting is the focus on this private security company, right? That's very much a, Watching those are the hands. guys who are to blame. And yeah. we don't have a name for that private security company yet. We, we don't, you know. So I think it's, uh, it'll be very interesting to see where, where it goes um, with all that. Finally, I will say this. He came on the show, Herc. We waited a long time to get that interview, but uh, you know I complain a lot about how the MO of a lot of soccer executives on this side of the border is that when there's bad news, they run and hide and hope the news cycle takes care of it. I will give credit here where it is due. Mikel Arriola not only came on, but he answered every question we had for him. That's true. That he did 20 minutes worth of questions. We got to give him credit for that. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. 
With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, so uh, let's move from the off-the-field topics to the on-the-field topics because there was some amazing action, Herc, especially last night in Mexico in the CONCACAF Champions League. Time for a CCL edition of Good, Bad, and Ugly. Let's start with the good, which is going to be the Puma side of their incredible comeback against the New England Revolution. They were down... 3-0, Herc, after the first leg, but a masterful performance. A couple goals from Juan Dineno really got things started for Pumas. Oh, Juan Dineno, he's waking up, Juan Dineno. It's a whole New England. It's, you just knew, you just knew, right? Like, they've got this in their bag. They've got this in their locker. Pumas is that type of team. It's not the first time they've done a historic comeback. They've beaten bigger second. teams. Wait Hold a on. second. Well, let on me the finish. last edition of the show, well, we both said they had no chance. Hold on. When I talk about the Rebs, I will explain that. But okay. this isn't the first time, okay? They've done it against bigger teams. They've done it with bigger deficits. Cruz Azul, return leg, losing 4-0. to zero. They mm. did it against them. Cruz Azul, Yadavo, Cruz Azul, They put four on them and advanced. They almost did the Sotigres in a final. Same type of scenario. Lilini has these Pumas believing. They might not have the money. They might have only academy products. Their foreign players might not be as big or as famous as the others. But man, they know how to fight with spirit. Dineno, the game-winning penalty. Bofo Sacero, the uh, series tying goal. An amazing night for Pumas. And uh, how about that missed penalty from Sebastian Lejet? We didn't see it in the highlight there, but uh, that may as well have fit in the bad because the bad side of that story is the Revs' total collapse in Mexico City after having a 3-0 lead after the first leg. Herc, on Twitter, you called it a choke job. Yeah, massive choke job. So let me explain. So you and I said there's no chance because I'm thinking Buxa, uh, Gil, Josie, Gustavo Bo, Sebastian Legette, like offensive juggernaut that they are. They're going to score one goal, one away goal. But then I'm sitting at home and I'm thinking to myself about Pumas and what they've done. I'm like, man, they wouldn't not try to score a goal. They got to get an away goal. Like they know they have to attack. They know they have to go at Pumas somewhat. They can't sit back because Pumas, like they've done this before. And I'm thinking to myself, and I even tweeted the warning. I tweeted the warning. And after the first goal, go back and look at the warning. After the second goal, go back and look at the warning. You need your away goal. They never got their away goal. And Pumas did what they did. It was a massive choke job. They don't know what pressure is. And they, they, and mm. I will get into it, is Major League Soccer. Mm. Mm. Okay, uh, let's get into that in a second. I do want to point out some of the comments because if you're surprised by this, you were not really listening to Bruce Arena before the match. He said, we don't need goals. I they do. It. We don't need to <laughs> score. Uh, they do. One goal is all the Revs would have needed. That would have meant five. CONCACAF, of course, like the only place in the world where away goals still matter. So one goal would have meant that Pumas needed a five to advance. Uh, I'm interested in your point about MLS. I want to get to that in a second. But a few more things from Bruce Arena post. He pointed out mistakes and altitude. Uh, both are things that he's not directly involved in, right? Mistakes are of the players. Altitude is of the, is of the environment. It's something beyond the coach's control. When he was asked about his tactics, Hurt, he was very short, but he was asked basically if he got it right, and he answered in the affirmative. Uh, yes. Did Bruce Arena get his tactics right here? No, he didn't get it right because he sat back. That said, a lot of the blame is also on the players. Adam Buxa could have put this away himself. He could have put this game away himself. He missed two all by himself. One of those two goes in. It forces Puma to score five. Pumas with one goal in. Now needing five, the spirit is broken. You've broken the back of the cat. It's that easy, that simple. But you don't have that in you. You don't have the pressure. You don't know what it's like. It's a tell as old as time. Major League Soccer in Mexico. You fold, you buckle because you don't know what pressure is. Okay? 
promotion, relegation, all these. Are things, you saying there's not enough meaningful games in MLS? That's Are exactly you saying there's not enough saying. pressure games That's in MLS? That's exactly what I'm saying. Because you go out and you lose a game, nothing happens. Mm. You can go about, thankfully, in your own city, have dinner, drink a beer with your buddies. Nothing will happen. Do you know what happened in Seoul if you lose this game? Do you mm. know what happened in Mexico City? You think they're going to go out at night? You think they're going to go out? to the grocery store, to have a beer? Do you think they're gonna be with their family members in public? No, thankfully, that is not the case. But the pressure, the pressure, and I've seen this with my own eyes, Seb. I used to play for Santos Laguna and I was in the exact same tournament against MLS club's teams. We go and we lose to Seattle Sounders 2-1 in Seattle. We tie 1-1 in Toronto. They come back to Torreon, they would eat five apiece. Hmm. Because the moment one goal goes in, it's a deer in the headlights look. The spirit is broken. They don't know what is overcome. It's, it's, this, it's this emotional paralysis that sets in for these players. The moment is bigger than them. And we're talking about players that have played in World Cups. We're talking about players that have been there, done that. But there's a select few. These millionaire players are select few. You need a roster to understand what that is. They don't understand what that is. And the moment the first one went in, I knew this game was over. Mm-hmm. Lejet, Altador, Bo, those are guys with big-time experience. Um, but I guess it Not wasn't all enough. Not all of them. For the New England Revolution uh, against Pumas in this quarterfinal of the CONCACAF Champions League. Elsewhere in the CCL, we had New York City FC. And unfortunately for them, uh, they are the ugly this week. Now, New York City did advance 5-5 on aggregate. Hallelujah! Thanks very much to the away goal. Uh, but they lost 4-2 in Guatemala against Comunicaciones uh, and barely hung on, barely hung on after a 3-1 lead uh, in the first leg, Herc. <laughs> This is so embarrassing. Like the only thing that makes you save face here is that you advanced. Let's be honest. New York City FC botching, bottling this performance versus Comunicaciones. And let's give a lot of praise to Comunicaciones who fought and played very well. And listen, I know New York City's travel has been crazy. I know they're not playing at Yankee Stadium. They don't have a CONCACAF approved stadium. It's hectic. I understand all that, the neutral venues. I get it. But do you understand the difference in pay scales here? Do you understand the difference in roster here? Jose Del Valle, our good friend and commentator in Deportes, he's Guatemalan. I asked Jose Del Valle, what's the roster situation like for these teams? What are they making? He said they'll be lucky if two or three of their players crack over $100,000 annually. Mm. Mm. New York City, okay, nobody cares about the Supporters Shield. Pumas isn't saying we knocked out the Supporters Shield champion, okay? Guatemala, Comunicaciones, and the rest of the world are, look at the MLS Cup champion get embarrassed in Guatemala. This Mm. is embarrassing for them. Boy, pretty harsh for a team that advanced to the CONCACAF Champions League semifinals, but I guess uh, there you have it, Herc. Not impressed with New York City FC. Should uh, I be? Down in Guatemala. No, not with this performance. Okay. Uh, If if there would have been any more minutes in this match, you'd think uh, maybe Comunicaciones uh, would have been able to. That's a good point, Seb overtake New York City FC. It was like the whistle and the clock was their only friend uh, in this game. Run it back Euro style. Gio Reyna with a game winning assist for Dortmund Wednesday. 1-0 win over Mainz. His second assist of the season, Herc. Uh, second assist but it feels good to see Gio Reyna back on the field. Five long months, Sebi. The El Salvador game. Game one in the first window of World Cup qualifying. The last time we've really seen Gio Reyna. This is massive. Axel Witzel uh, heading home for Dortmund. Huge victory for Dortmund. You smell that, Herc? We might have a, a title race in the old Bundesliga, which, of course, you can watch on ESPN+. Plus. In the Champions League, Christian Pulisic with a goal in Chelsea's 2-1 win away against Lille in the second leg as they punch their ticket into the quarterfinals. His second Champions League goal of the season. This coming, Herc, amid those interesting Juventus transfer rumors that I know you saw on our website. I saw them. I saw that. I don't know if Juventus has got that kind of cake, that kind of money. I don't know if he wants to go there. Did you see him against Villarreal? Uh, but by the way, big game Pulisic. Can you please refer to him as big game Pulisic? That's what he loves. Liverpool, Arsenal, Manchester City, Atletico, Real Madrid, Madrid Mexico. Uh, he just loves this type of stage. Look at this full screen. This full screen is basically the story of Football Americas. I love this stat right here. Christian Pulisic with four goals now. The CONCACAF player, uh, along with Chicharito, who has scored the most goals in the knockout stage of the Champions League. How about this note? Tim Way, he also played in that game, Chelsea against Leo. So the first time two Americans have played against each other, Herc, in the Champions League knockout rounds. That's pretty cool. Uh, Three Americans. Yes, 
Yes, sorry. Uh, two U.S. men's national teamers have played oh, against yes. each other. Jonathan in the David, a New York born player, uh, was involved in this too. So you had a little CONCACAF U.S. Canada action going on. And uh, yeah, Timothy Weah, Jonathan David, got a first class seat to see uh, Polisic in action. Speaking of seeing Polisic in action, you can do so right here on ESPN Plus on Saturday, the FA Cup. Chelsea visiting Middlesbrough. That's Saturday on ESPN Plus. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Langenberg drives. Header. Goal! Fans back in Portland. Goals back in Portland. Trouble brewing. Matthias waits. Chips. Scores! Oh, Rodman. Rodman! The number two pick. Into her debut. Christine Sinclair looking. Shoot it. Go. One nothing towards. Cross is coming. And there's a tying goal. Carly Lloyd's first touch is a goal, and it's 1 1. International. Oh, Fox made the save. And Weaver. Perk a bit of NWSL news. Becky Saubron has undergone surgery to repair a torn meniscus in her right knee. She will miss the Challenge Cup coming up here starting this weekend, but she is expected to return for the start of the regular season. Speaking of the Challenge Cup, of course, it kicks off Friday night with a showdown between Racing Louisville and Kansas City. Speaking of the Portland Thorns, they will actually open against OL Reign. So we got some great rivalries to launch the NWSL. Uh, Challenge Cup starting up on Friday. Herc, let's give a quick season preview here. Give me one player out of the entire league that you're most looking forward to seeing in the Challenge Cup. The Trinity Rodman. There is no other player I'm looking more forward to seeing. It's Trinity Rodman because she's a torchbearer. She's the future of U.S. soccer. Mm. She's also the highest paid player in the w- NWSL, so I want to see what this is all about. Is this a flash in the pan? Will we have a sophomore slump? Or is she the real deal? Can mm. she duplicate? No, 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 no. Not duplicate. Can she do better than she did the first season? That's what I want to see. Can she carry U.S. soccer? Because right now, she's the face of U.S. soccer. We're seeing right now the players, the big players, the Alex Morgans, the Megan Rapinos, the Kristen Press, all these big players on their way out. What does the next generation look like? Can Trinity Rodman carry that torch? Next generation looks uh, pretty good if Trinity Rodman is a part of it. I like the fact that you mentioned those other players, sir, because there are some other like big names that I think we want to see in this Challenge Cup. Names like, uh, you know, maybe Kristen Press and Alex Morgan. But I'm going with a deeper cut here. Stephanie Ferrer Van Ginkel. Now, why? One, she has an incredible story. Born in Brazil, spent some time in an orphanage as a child, then moves to Spain. She might have been a part of Barcelona's academy, but but missed the trial because she couldn't get transportation. She's been part of a reality show. She's played for Tigres, and that's really why I'm interested in her. <laughs> because I want to see how a player from Liga Mekis Femenil does when they come up to NWSL and if that in turn maybe opens the door for more commerce between the two leagues. Of course, we know we got a couple expansion teams coming in this year. San Diego Wave Football Club and Angel City FC. Which team do you think will do better, Herc, in the Challenge Cup? Angel City! Angel City, and not just in the Challenge Cup. Uh, I'm going uh, here on out. You look at Angel City, you got to talk about what they've done. The front office, the ownership, how ambitious they are. Over $30 million in in sponsorships. Uh, 14,000 seats already sold for the season tickets. Christian Press, Stephanie Freire Van Winkle, you just mentioned. Uh, Simone Charlie, Vanessa Giles, uh, Gigi Harit. Uh, They've got some players on here. I just think they're more poised for a breakout year Mm. than what is San Diego. Classic Herc, some might say vintage. It's Sounders TV. It's Tigres TV. He's going to get season tickets, so now it's Angel City FC Television. Classic. 
Classic. Okay, I'm gonna go with San Diego because I think they got some players hooked that right now, right now are, are, are ready to dominate. You got Abby Dahlkemper. Uh, you got Alex Morgan. By the way, and Alex Morgan, who should be supremely motivated, right? Just left off the last roster for the She Believes Cup uh, for Vladko Andonovsky. Huge decisions coming for the national team coach. So I think Morgan's uh, a big player there. Naomi Gomra, the number one pick overall. And Sofia Jakobsen, this is a huge player for the Swedish national team. Um, those are some very, very big pieces. So I'm going to go San Diego wave. All right, Challenge Cup favorites are hurt. There you see four of, of the potential favorites. Are you taking any of those? Or are you going with a dark horse to win the Challenge Cup? Because we know we know the Challenge Cup can give us some upsets. Yeah, but I, I'm not going with the dark horse. I'm going with probably the front runner in my eyes is the Washington Spirit. Mm. Listen, they're already the champs and if you're going to spot me the champs right now with zero turnover to that championship team, a team that went on a fantastic run, a very young team who already has that championship run under their belt. With Ashley with Ashley Hatch, Ashley Harris, and what is Trinity Rodman in that Trident All US Men's Nat or US Women's National Team bound players? I will take that. It's a scary attack with an already experienced team. Yep, it's a young team, didn't lose too many pieces, and they're only getting better. Now, there's a policy on the show that you and I are really like technically hurt not allowed to agree on anything. But you know me with my DC loving ways. It would have been almost impossible for me mm -hmm. uh, to pick anybody but the Washington Spirit to win the Challenge Cup. And yes, as you say, we just saw what they were like in a, in a tournament when they won the whole thing last year. So I think that should translate quite a bit. If I was to pick another team, it might be Gotham. I think Gotham FC could be a, a dangerous, dangerous team in this tournament. And we're actually going to see them against the Spirit on the 25th. That's next Friday. Winner of that, that'll probably be my pick for the Challenge Cup winner. It's a weekend of Clásicos across the world and especially here on ESPN+. Plus. Let's do a quick segment of Book It to make the folks some good money this weekend. Why don't we start with the ah, one of the Clásicos that you've played in, the Clásico Regio. show my goal? Okay. No, I guess not. Uh, Tigres Rayados taking place on Saturday. What you taking? Look at this. It's if pretty much if Tigres win 1-0, it's plus 650. That's an amazing bet. Let me tell you mm. what's an amazing bet. Bucetich. Victor Manuel Bucetich, the coach of now Monterrey, is very defensive. He's going to go there and he sits. It's going to make this a very rigid game. I can see this being a Andre Pierre Gignac penalty kick 1-0 game, which puts Andre Pierre Gignac one goal behind the all-time leader in goal scored in El Clásico. Out of the last four games, two of those have been a 1-0 result. Only once have they scored more than one goal in this game in El Volcán. I think it's a smart bet. Smart Betty says, Tigres Tele, Tigres Tele, coming up money or what? Uh, okay, <laughs> I, I'm going to go, you went, you went with under, so you think it's going to be a low-scoring affair. I'm going the opposite here. I think it's going to be a high-scoring affair. I want a high-scoring classical. Maybe this is the, uh, the fan in me. So I'm taking the over 2.5, which pays out at, at minus 110. Here's what I'm thinking. Rayados have a lot of talent, and Tigres, for as good as they've been, have been shipping some goals, right? There was three against Mazatlan, there was two against Juarez, there was two against Cruz Azul. So I, I see some goals in this one, Herc. I'm taking the over two and a half between Tigres and Monterrey. All right, the Clásico Tapatio, Atlas Chivas, Herc, what you taking? This is uh, gonna be Chivas money line at plus 280. What? In El Estadio Jalisco. Have you watched where... Chivas play? Yes, I have. Listen to this stat. At El Estadio Jalisco, where they're going to play Atlas's home, who used to be the home of Chivas, Chivas es el papá. Out of the mm. last 15 games, they've only lost three. Chivas have only lost three times. They've won seven. Chivas dominates this series. 
Chivas is on the up. The attack really well. I'm taking Chivas in this one. You have a lot of faith in Chivas. Should I remind Stats, you that uh, Atlas are the Atlas are the defending champions? How are they playing? Okay, but I'm taking Atlas here, and, and I think they're going to win, and I don't think Chivas are going to score. Now, this is mostly a reflection uh, of how I feel about Chivas at the moment, and which really is a reflection of how I feel about America at the moment. If you couldn't score against America, and specifically 10 men America for almost 40 minutes, how are you going to score against Atlas? How are you going to score against the defending champions? No, no, no. I'm taking Chivas to get blanked. The clean sheet under Half goal for Chivas, which uh, pays out at plus 115. All right, they're classic AR from uh, the Dutch League. Ajax against Feyenoord. Herc, what you got? Yeah, so Ajax has been one of the hottest teams in Europe. Uh, mm -hmm. Amazing record. They've been doing really well. But they just bowed out of the champions against Benfica in what must be physically and emotionally draining. And now they got to play in the Clásico right here against a team, Feyenoord, that's not won in Amsterdam in 16 years. Mm. I'm just going with... This, my gut tells me he's going to be smartest. Pick the draw. Pick the draw here at plus 1,500. Give me those odds. I will go. No score, no draw. I will take that. At 0-0 zero, wow. zero fair, you get plus 1,500. Throw a little flyer on there if you want to make some money. By the way, Ajax in a, in a very tight title race with PSV. So if they do drop those points, Eric, as you suggest, that could be uh, big for the Dutch top flight title race, which, of course, you can watch on ESPN+. Plus. So what am I taking here? I'm mixing things up, right? I dug deep into the prop bets, and I found the two CONCACAF players we're interested in here, Edson Alvarez and Cole Bassett. How about this, Herc? I found that their odds to score are identical, both coming in at plus 550. Who do you think is more likely to score? Quickly, Edson well, or Cole Bassett? Edson, because he's going to be on the field. There it is. <laughs> what is kind of care shit is that? Okay, so uh, that game available for you on ESPN Plus. So is the big one, El Clasico. Real Madrid Ooh. hosting Barcelona. Oh, look at this. What's your pick? The big over. Wow. Yeah, yeah. This one's uh, pretty easy for me. I'm taking the big over. Why? Because if we look at the last four games for both clubs respectively, one has scored 11, the other one has scored 14 goals. They're coming in on fire. Xavi with Barcelona has them believing. Ancelotti with, with Real Madrid after what they just did to PSG has them mm -hmm. flying. I think there's going to be a lot of goals in this game. I really think this is going to be an overtime affair, so I will take it at plus 160. I tell you, I will take it as well. If you give me a Real Madrid-Barcelona Clásico with over three and a half goals, yes, what a day that would be on ESPN Plus on Sunday. Okay, my pick now, this was before the injury today, but I would have taken it anyway. I, this is a hopeful, hopeful pick. Maybe Sergio Des' injury is not as bad as it looked. Uh, as he came off in the Europa League against Galatasaray. So I looked up what his odds would be to score. This is anytime, anytime goal score. Not first, not last. Plus 1,400. Hurt. If he wasn't hurt, if, if he wasn't hurt, I, I might kind of like it, you know? These odds might uh, go higher for you. <laughs> yes. Uh, Yes, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, there it is, uh, the classic uh, Ajax against Feyenoord, Sunday, 9.25 a.m. Eastern Time, right here on ESPN+. And, of course, you can also check out on Plus El Clasico. That one's Sunday, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. I think our coverage starts at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on ESPN+. Plus. All right, so that'll do it for this edition of Football Americas. We will be back on Monday with a full build-up huh, to Thursday's World Cup qualifier between the United States and Mexico at the Estadio Azteca. Part of that build-up, a one-on-one -on -one between Sam Borden and Paul Arriola. Don't miss it. And don't forget, Football Americas, as always, available for you in podcast form. Herc, please, please, I beg of you, no more fights on Twitter, okay? Thanks. You didn't wear green. Oh, it's in my underwear. Hold on. It's in my underwear. You want to see it? <laughs> I do not want to see your diaper. Uh -huh.